<laughs> oh, so um, I hear that all the time. <laughs> um, every now and then, some people, <laughs> after a, a, a sermon, will say to me, you know, you think about this stuff all week long, and nobody else is doing that along with you. And so um, it may be helpful sometimes, they will say, to maybe explain a little bit more about some of the things you're talking about. So this is one of those times where I am going to go back. And, and one thing that I, um, I have mentioned a lot over the past few years is the whole concept of essentials and non-essentials. And, and I just wanted to spend a little time just maybe broadening out what I am talking about. I, I know I've given a couple of examples, but maybe just kind of broaden that out to know what's more essentials and non-essentials. And then the second thing would be, the, I've mentioned, you know, the essentials of the creeds, and, and I've been told at times, well, well, you know what those are. But maybe everybody else doesn't know what those are. And so what I am going to do today is I am going to, the beginning part of this sermon time message is look at one of the creeds. There are a number of creeds. Um, and, and they've had, and, and really they're, we could almost look at them like statements of faith. Um, they're not exactly that at all, but they're, for our way of thinking, maybe that's what we would think. And um, let me say, they're, they're not, there's nothing sacred about them. What they are, though, and what you will see is that the church throughout the centuries have had to address different issues, often heresy. And usually creeds came out of the addressing of heresy because they were, we know what all the heresies are now. Or at least we, we know a few of them and maybe aren't sure. But they were just dealing with things for the first time. And so they needed to gather together to work through that. And the creeds came out of those times. There's two big ones. There's many, but the two big ones, one is the Apostles' Creed. And the other is the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed was, was written in 325. And it was after the Council of Nicaea, which was dealing with an issue um, in the church. It was just not long after Constantine forced everybody to be Christian in the empire. Empire's Christian, you're all baptized, here you go, boom. It all happened all at once. <laughs> so everybody got, became Christian just like that. It was boom. And, um, and so there was a controversy out of Alexandria, which is one of the influential churches, and a guy by the name of... Um, Arius, yes, Arius, um, was a leader in Alexandria, and he started teaching something that had to do with the deity of Christ, and there was a big debate about that. It's called Arianism, and so the, the, the Nicene Creed um, came out of that. Now, the Apostles' Creed, most believe, was done before that, maybe long before that, except we don't know, because we don't really have record of it. It's just kind of there and all, and so we don't really know. But what 
what happens is the Nicene Creed has expanded on the Apostles' Creed in order to deal with some of the controversies. So we look at the first slide. Here's what I want to show you. These creeds, both of them, have these seven essentials. And some of them are kind of two, but they're connected. And those verses up there, as if you were to take, these are some of the verses, there are some others, but if you were to take these and read the creed and read these verses, you will say, oh, there they are. And these verses are summaries or creeds themselves, if we could call it that, written in scripture by different Bible writers. Something like Philippians 2, which we talk about all the time, it's kind of like it's a, at least a statement that was prevalent in the church and Paul's just reminding. Something that Paul would have said and the church should have repeated, that whole section in Philippians chapter 2. So here they are. These are the essentials. God the Father, God the Son, the gospel, salvation, judgment, second coming, God the Holy Spirit, church, baptism, and then the resurrection. These are the things that Christians have always believed to be essentials for 2,000 years. And if you drift, if you are drifting away from any of these, you are drifting away from Orthodox Christianity, what Christians have believed throughout the centuries. So that's why they're called essentials. Because it's what it means to be a Christian. It's to believe these things. Now, we'll look at the Nicene Creed, and I'm not going to go blow by blow, but here's the first section of it. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. It says, we believe in one God. That's, I think, an intro statement. And that would come right out of the Shema here. Oh, Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that's just throughout the Bible. One God. There is one God. Now, they lived in a world where there were many gods, or so-called gods, but throughout the Bible time, it wanted, they, the, the, the Lord, the Bible, the writers of the Bible want to make it really clear. There is one God, Yahweh, is God. And now it says we believe in one God. What this creed's going to do, it's going to say, yeah, one God. Now let me explain to you who that one God is. And first he says the Father, the creator of all things. And we go to the next slide. It says that God is also God the Son. The next part of it says we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. The word begotten here means, because we use that word all of the time. I mean, just people, when you go get coffee and somebody will use that word. It means here, co-eternal, in the first 
part, it's co-eternal existence with the Father. And then the second part, he shares in the exact same nature. This, is, this little section is John 1, 1 through 5, and Philippians 2, 5 through 12. It's just, you can go read those, and it's like, oh, yeah. In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him. Philippians 2, although he existed in the form of God, did not, the very essence of God is really what that is, did not regard equality, complete equality with God, something to hold on to. Then we go to the next slide, and here we have the gospel and salvation. This is in the middle. For us men, people, a long time ago they wrote this, and for our salvation he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. This is Philippians 2 again. This is Romans 1, 1 through 5. And you can go, and you did, this is just what it is. And, and I've talked about this a lot when I've talked about the gospel. We have, what is the gospel? Incarnation, Jesus Christ became man. Suffering and death of Jesus Christ. Burial, resurrection, ascension. That's the gospel. Throughout the entire New Testament, it's always, that's the gospel. That's where our salvation depends on that, those words. That they're not just words, what they stand for, what they mean. That is our gospel. Now, it does not mean you have to say all that when you're talking to somebody, you know. <laughs> it just doesn't, you know. That's just what we need, but we need to understand it. We need to understand that as Christians. And we, we should be able to go from any of those points that I just mentioned into a conversation about Christ. So as it's Christmas time, and you know, it's time of the incarnation. We need, as Christians, to know how to go from that into what Jesus has done for us and what that means for us. And I, and I would encourage you to learn and to just play with it. Not, not, I don't mean that in a funny sense, but you know, oh, you know, I'm in a situation, and to think through those ascension, how in the world would I ever do that? There are so many opportunities for that. When you get to understand, I mean, that's not the point of today's message, but that's something just to think about. So on the next slide, it says... He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. This is the second coming and judgment. They are connected throughout Scripture. When Christ comes again, there will be judgment. And, and I think what's important here is that, that there will be a time of judgment at the end when Christ returns. That is an essential part of our faith. That is an essential part of faith being a Christian. Now, what that judgment looks like, people may disagree, but Christ will judge all. 
we will all stand before, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's just essential to the Christian faith. The next line, we get to meet the third person of the one God. Um, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. But we see the same things, the Lord and giver of life. He is worshiped as God. He's only worship one. And then the next slide, the final little stanza in the creed. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Catholic is not speaking of a denomination here. We, we know that. It's the universal church. All believers from the time of Pentecost are part of of the Catholic Church, meaning the universal body of Christ. That's all that's talking about there, not a denomination. And then it says baptism. Baptism is essential part of the faith. Now, how you do that baptism, there's all kinds of different ways, right? That's not essential. But baptism is an essential part of the faith. And then another thing that I think is interesting, it says baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And so forgiveness of sins is an essential part of the faith. And forgiveness of sins means that sin, and our, we must have a clear understanding of sin and the fall as Christians. We must have a good biblical theology of sin because that is an essential part of our faith. I, Cindy and I were talking about that a little bit yesterday and, and she brought up just how that doesn't mean when we are talking to people out there that we call them sinners <laughs> or anything like that. Like I've said, people know they are sinners, and we could choose other words to express their failures and flaws and all of that. But humanity is, has fallen. And it is just part of our nature to be sinners. It's just That's why we need Christ and forgiveness of sin, because that's who we are. And then we have the resurrection and the new creation. Notice it says the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. So it's not the resurrection from the dead and being in heaven on clouds. We've talked about that a lot, but it's the world to come. We are looking to a new earth, a new heaven, living in bodies, just immortal ones. So with that, that's all I have to say about that. The question I have next is, how does a person get saved? And do they have to know all of that? 
And I would say no. Let me show you these, I think, on the next slide there. It says, they said, this is the Philippian jailer. So what must I do to be saved? They said, the apostles who were there, Paul, the other guys, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your house. So what do you have to do? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's what you have to do. Believe in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So here again, it says believe. They don't have to know the meaning of begotten even though it's in this verse. Just believe. On the next slide. If you confess with your mouth, I'm not sure what the next slide is. I'm changing Okay, there, there it is. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's just so clear. It's just, there it is. For, with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. There it is. And then what really struck me about this was the next line. It says, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Then it says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I thought, you know, the gospel is, for them, when it says Jew and Greek, that was all people. So it is fully inclusive for everyone. But then it also says it is, exclusive because it only comes through Jesus Christ. Only through the name of Jesus. It is only through Christ that we are saved. Only by his name. So, the next slide, oh, Henry's got it, the non-essentials. So you can skip that next verse, Henry, and go to the one that says non-essentials. But I just wanted to give some examples of this. And these are biblical issues that Christians have disagreed upon over the centuries. And these are few. There's a lot of them, but I usually throw out one, and so I thought I'd throw a bunch, but there's a bunch more. And the thing I would say is there's, with these kind of things, there's just never been one clear understanding of what the Bible says by Christians. What I just went through, there's pretty much been one clear understanding of the things that we just went through. And when their people got off on those, they had councils. And I have books written about those people in history because those are essential things. These are non-essentials. That doesn't mean they're not really important. It just means we haven't had agreement on these. So I just throw out here, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, the Spirit's essentially, that's not what I meant. It's, um, you know, there's certain gifts of the Holy Spirit that people argue about all the time. And that's fine. It's, if people have different conviction, that's okay. That is totally okay. 
the end times, post, pre, is there a rapture, no rapture? It's okay for different convictions. Women in ministry, some believe women can be pastors, others do not. It's just, that's a reality. It's been that way throughout the centuries in the church. Some of these churches have to make decisions on, don't they? The church has to make a decision on women's role in the church. It just, it's just a reality. There's others like that too. Age of the earth. Is it a young earth? Is it an old earth? All of that kind of stuff. Different opinions by, held by Christians throughout the centuries. Divorce and remarriage. Different opinions held by Christians. The use of alcohol. Civil disobedience. Tithing. Oh, no, everyone believes that. No. Christians haven't always believed in that. Some do. Some don't. Everybody believes in generous giving. Nonviolence. Predestination. I don't know what else. I, I've got some written down here. I probably have it in a totally different order on my sheet. <laughs> so, that's life. <laughs> Capital punishment. Communion. Not should you, but how should you? How often should you? So those are some. I think with all these, here's what's, it's, we don't just say, ah, it's not essential. I ain't going to care. We should at least try and do it with the time we have and the ability we have. It's going to differ for everybody. Is get our best understanding of what Scripture says. And, 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 and then be able to say, that's all I got. You know, I'm 80% there. And I, I just, I'm going to listen to this book. It's called... Um, Thinking in Bets. And this person is talking about how when you are totally certain, you tend to lose your audience's trust and confidence. And they just go through this, just sign, they do all these studies, you know, they're going, and it's, it, was, it was fascinating. And so that's why it's good to say, you know, about 80%. Because that allows people to think, oh, okay. And, and they think, well, if I have a different thought, if they're just totally certain, I don't want to say anything. And I think we got these essentials. And with these things, we can be, have conviction. And, I, and I've shared this a lot. But I think we also just need to say, that's just where I'm at. That's the best, my best understanding now. Knowing that that can change. Mark Twain said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for certain that just ain't true. And I think that's great. Because there's a lot of things we know for certain that just ain't true. The third part of Augustine's statement, and that's his statement in the essentials, unity, non-essentials, diversity, the third part in all things 
charity, or we would say the word love. That's a whole third category. And I call this category the non-things. We got essential things, we got non-essential things, and we got non-things. And obviously they're not non-things. But what I mean by non-things is that these are things of preference and conscience, which the Bible does not ever speak directly to. There's a lot of those things also. Couple of examples. I gave one last week. What kind of in what kind of worship music should you play in church? This Bible, you know, never says anywhere. <laughs> That's a preference. Last week I said homeschool, public, private school. Bible never says. That's conscience. Who you should vote for or how you should vote. Bible never says ever. That's conscience. We do our best to, to, to know our best understanding of what's right and wrong. And then with that understanding, our conscience will help us dictate what do we do in many situations. So with that, the next slide I believe I left this one on there. What about the 10 plus 603 commandments? <laughs> now, last week I said 634, and I was wrong. Well, different people say different things, but, but Google said 613. So that's what we're going, <laughs> so we're going with um, this week. So are, those, are there essential and non-essential commandments? And what I would say with that is I think we need different categories. And, and I think the Bible gives us different categories. And, and I put them this way. The first, there's four. That, and, and Here's my four. The first are universal commands which are for all people at all times. There are those in the Bible. Now, even with those, let me say this, there's nuance and some are situational. And let me give you an example of that. Thou shalt not kill, or some say thou shalt not murder. Well, that is universal command for all people at all times, except some believe, well, let me say this. So if you're driving your car and somebody cuts you off, and you come to a stoplight, and you get out of your car, and you go up and you kill them. That's universally wrong, <laughs> right? We can all agree to that. But some Christian folks believe it's okay to kill in self-defense, and others disagree. Some Christians believe the death penalty is okay. And others believe it's murder. And that's just a reality. And that's been the case throughout the centuries. That has always been the case. There's been disagreement on those things. Good Christians today in this room disagree on both of those things. So there is always a little bit of nuance with all this. The second uh, category I have is contextual commands. 
And what I mean by that is, here, let me give an example of that would be um, uh, tattoos. There's a verse in Leviticus that says not to have tattoos. It's in there. Now, but it's contextual. So if you got a tattoo, you're, you might be okay. <laughs> if it's hidden, <laughs> don't see it. <laughs> um, I remember when our son got tattooed in high school. They all ganged up on me because their 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 cross country team was going to the national championship in in Oregon and and like the whole family and all the kids and all the other parents, they were all getting the exact same tattoo. And I caved. <laughs> but that, it was, that if you go in context, that command is about worshiping of other gods. And that's what those tattoos were all about. So we need to understand things in their context. Do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. I was at a conference, a pastor's conference, where, no kidding, this person was talking about eating healthy, and that was kind of good, but then he went into the Bible and eating healthy, and he took this verse out and said that we were not to eat cheeseburgers because of this verse. We were not to have chicken casserole with cheese because of this verse. So, <laughs> yep. There was, so, you know, but it was, again, it was, uh, in a lot, of, a lot of the Old Testament law, it's God trying to separate Israel from the ways of the world. And so they often took just these things they did. And they said, don't do that. Don't be like them. He gave them a whole new rule so they could be different than them. So that's nice. The next one would be legislative laws, civil laws, where it's talking about punishment in the Bible. We tend to pick and choose the ones we want with that, don't we? Oh, there's certain ones, yeah, yeah, we should follow the Bible, that one. Very few of us follow the Bible that we should stone our rebellious son. <laughs> I'm not sure there'd be any sons left in the world <laughs> if we followed that one. Um, so, and then of course the ceremonial, though they're not wrong to follow, they were for Israel specifically and not for us. So one other thing, and then I want to just share one, um, one strength in our church, close this off here. So oftentimes, and I shared this last week, that our primary focus and Jesus said this, love God, love people, and, and, and you, in one sense, fulfill all the commands. The, the, the whole law and the prophets depend on that, Jesus said. But what I, would I think what's important to understand about it, that does not mean we ignore the instruction, teaching, and command of Scripture. Because it is through the instruction, teaching, and commands of Scripture we learn how to love God and love people. That's why they're there. Now, we need to know the nuances and the, you know, all of that stuff. But the commands that are in the Bible are there to teach us to love God and love people. So they are very important. 
So that's kind of my clarification on some of that if you needed it. This one thing, if we go to 1 Corinthians 12, there it says 1 through 6. I don't know why, but um, this is verse, I guess, 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. Over the years, God has brought to our church people from various backgrounds and faith traditions. And as you have become a part of our church, some of us come from kind of the same mold, but as the rest of you and over the years have become a part of this church, it has made our church much stronger. Dennis Knabel, when these two church, when our church in 1996, November-ish, we joined together with the church that was here. Um, and Dennis was leading that church. And he would say, and those of you who were here would remember, he talked about cross-pollination as our churches came together. And just how, and he, I don't think he knew anything about, you know, plants. <laughs> but it was still a great illustration of how when plants cross-pollinate, you get unique varieties. Help, I mean, that's genetic engineering of plants. It has a lot to do with mixing and crossing. And, and, and he would always say, that's the way it's going to be with our churches as we came together. And that, and that is really what happened. I know for me, just that, that Dennis was the first person to share with me that opened my eyes. And we were driving and they, we were involved in an association at the time, and when they joined with us, he, he just loved what the association was doing and all that, and, and we were having a discussion one time, and he said, Mike, I love this association that you guys are involved with, but you need to understand that it has its problems, like every association, and you need to be able to say that. You need to be able to address that. And, and that had a profound impact on me. So, and this little verse here, I know it's about spiritual gifts, sort of. That's why I'm sharing it. Because it says, now concerning, now there are a variety of gifts. Huh. I read it in a different translation. Oh, oh, that's, you don't have no concerning spiritual gifts. That comes right before it. Sorry. And it's really important that I forgot to put that in there because when it says now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts isn't in there. And really what it's saying is now concerning spirituals, which really means now concerning the things of the spirit. Totally different wording than the next line that says, now, there are a variety of gifts, which is actually the word gifts or charismata, but the same spirit. And then he says there are a variety of ministries, which really is service and the same Lord. And that's what really struck me. 
He connects the gifts, grace gifts, charismatic gifts, we might call them, with the Spirit. And then when he gets to the variety of services, he connects it with the servant of all. And see, when, when we come together, we don't just, I think it's so, for churches, focus on a person's gift. Like that's kind of a thing. But equal is a person's service. The, the, as people come in with service abilities and skills, those are every bit as important. And we've had people come in here, and we have servants in our church. Unbelievable servants in this church. And that, in this context, is every bit as important as those who have whatever gift they were concerned about here. And I think that's what he's doing, because they were concerned about certain gifts, and they were really into those that really made somebody look cool and powerful and spiritual. And he's basically saying, well, you know, the person who's doing the dishes downstairs, that's cool. And then it says there are a variety of effects. I don't know what that version says. Words energy. I don't know how it's really cool. <laughs> and that energy comes from God. And just that that there be energy in our service. God struck me. Then the next slide, I believe, is verse seven and eleven. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's for the common good. But to one in the, but one in the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. But it's to put those things into practice to serve one another. And, and with you all, whether it's in your gifts or your service or your energy, I, I think that is the strength of this church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. And I just ask, Lord, that you would help us. And these are two very different little trends, avenues here to go on. I think it's really important. We understand what our faith is. Help us to do our best to have a deep understanding, to hold to that. And at the same time, to give grace to those things that aren't crucial, essential, and necessary. And Lord, in all things, to love one another. In your name we pray, amen.
Maybe a little longer than you expect, but it's shorter than you think. <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing from two sources, Romans and the Book of Opinions. Hopefully both will be true and uplifting and encouraging. Joy, peace, and trust. Often misunderstood, misapplied, uh, all separate, but from a biblical place, inseparable. Uh, joy. Um, a should-be-famous person once said, happiness is like trying to stay warm in the winter with a match. Well, the only way to have joy is it's something foundational. It's not fleeting. Peace. Peace on earth, right? That doesn't happen on a global scale. If it does, it's, it's just a ceasefire. It has to be each of us. And until each of us have it, there won't be peace. Trust. Who remembers the TV show from the 70s emergency? So you're... The one person's in the, in the house in the fourth floor of the building and they're all at the bottom. Jump, jump. Well, the person has a lot of motivation to jump, right? Because we don't want to be left in the fire. We want to be saved. Uh, come, come with me to the pool as a little kid. You're standing on the edge and you know your dad or mom is going, come on, jump, I got you, I got you. Well, we want to, don't we? we? We know that it'll be fulfilling and fun and something that we should do. But as a little kid, you're comfortable on the edge, right? 
I, I don't have to leap in the air and trust that my parent will catch me. I, I can walk away, right? And everything will be fine. Nothing will change, will it? So joy, peace, trust. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.